Welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And if you're interested in some insider perks, you can pitch in a few dollars a month at patreon.com forward slash cleantechnica. That's patreon.com forward slash cleantechnica. Welcome back to Clean Tech Talks, where I'm speaking with Anders Forslund, PhD and CEO of Heart Aerospace. Heart Aerospace is building a 19-passenger electric regional airplane and has hundreds of pre-orders. Some news from our company first. We're going to be raising a round of investment early in 2022. If you're interested in being in the know, you can sign up to be contacted at cleantechnica.com backslash invest backslash. You'll get financials, a pitch deck, and our founder and former CEO will personally be reaching out to you to ask you about your hopes for both Clean Technica and the investment money. We want to tailor our investment vehicle appropriately. Again, that's cleantechnica.com backslash invest backslash. And let's talk about the fuel cycle because you, you know, Breakthrough Ventures, who I think is in supporting you guys, also yeah. supports Zero Avia. Yeah. Uh, Zero, Zero Avia is a hydrogen fuel cell startup with very similar scaling expectations. I think they're a bit more aggressive in terms of scaling up to larger sizes. But you know, you must have spent time looking at hydrogen versus batteries and other and biofuels and synthetic fuels. So talk about why you made this choice, uh, which I support yeah. fully, by the way. What? Which I support fully, by the way. <laughs> yeah, okay, thank you. So I know that, you know, there's a lot of sort of, uh, how would I say, there, there's a big competition and there's a lot of competing technologies. And that I think that is uh, how it should be. And I think it's a sign of strength for the industry that several pathways are, are, are being pursued. You know, uh, I, I'll, I'll do the Gandalf quote, but, you know, you should, you should not be too eager to pass judgment because not even the very wise know all ends. <laughs> so I'm trying to live by that. But, this is uh, a very good CEO quote so far, but come on, hydrogen for, for yeah. pure scale stuff? Yeah, no, no. I, I, and, but, 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 but essentially how I like to look at it is obviously, you know, the, the, the cycle of getting from, from grid energy to, to getting to, you know, propulsive energy. And that's sort of kind of prohibitive. It, it's a large, large, you know, going through electrolysis and, you know, cryogenic cooling and all that stuff. And ultimately it's also what I think is like people are looking at aerospace and they're seeing, okay, let's do two things. Let's do a, let's do what, 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 you know, spaceships are doing, which is cryogenic hydrogen. And they're saying B let's do what electric cars are doing. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think one of these is the one that's going to be the least expensive for the customer. Like, well, like if you go the way I articulate, the, and I, th- I think you and I are aligned with this mm-hmm. based on what I've been reading and based on our conversation. So I say my, I, I've done the assessment across all modes of transportation, looking which ones will electrify, which ones won't be easy to electrify in the short term. And I've done times projections. And so my, my projection is that everything, every incontinent flight, yeah. right. In you know normal size continents, we're not talking, you know, all of Russia, all the way from across Russia, but North America, across the United States, across Europe, all that's going to be electrified. 
for aviation. The power, the energy density, the weight, the cost, it, you know, it makes sense that that scale work. The, the problem is yeah. long haul aviation. Yeah. It's a hard problem. They run the yeah. longest routes. They produce the most, most NOx. They have the most contrails. They run overnight more. Yeah. It's the cross, cross oceanic stuff. And it's also stuff that's outside of the jurisdiction of countries yeah. in the ICAO's you know, bailiwick. I ticked yeah. off the IC and some ICAO representative recently by talking oh, about this. <laughs> Am I, I, I going to be a trouble and trouble now by associating with you? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> I, I ticked off people from Maersk yesterday. So <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> um, they, you may have heard that uh, Maersk has announced they've purchased eight methanol powered, green methanol powered, you know, post Panamax uh, container ships from Hyundai Heavy Industries. Yeah except there's no supply of this stuff. So they're going to, and it's a dual fuel thing. So they're actually just going to be running on bunker fuel like every other ship. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, so, but, um, but, uh, but yeah. Emperor, I'm, I'm, no I'm clothes. Sure. So yeah, yeah, sure. the, the point of the point about hydrogen for me and in what do we do about long haul? You're in a perfectly position because it's an incrementalist thing. It's going to take 40 years to solve long haul aviation. Yeah. And some of that will be solved simply by doing exactly what you and I are doing now. You're in Sweden. I'm on the West coast of North America. We're having a face-to-face business conversation where we can see each other's faces and, you know, have good stuff. And so much COVID has thrown us a decade into the future of this type of communication for business. I was using it before COVID. I've worked all over the world, but still now everybody knows how to do this. I was, you know, I was unusual before and now I'm, just normal. Yeah. So, um, but that long haul aviation, some of it will diminish, but it's not going to go away. And so we have yeah. to solve for that. I, do you, do you hear about Elon Musk's plan for this, by the way? Yeah. The flying the starship sort of the suborbital. I actually yeah. did the math on that. I, I actually looked yeah. at flying from, I think it was New York to Hong Kong on a normal jet with normal passenger miles and stuff. And I did the comparison on a per seat basis as best as I could with the Starship. And it actually worked out to about 60% of the CO2 per passenger mile to go suborbital with with Musk's plan than it it would to take a a normal plane. Yeah, no, that that is, uh, wow. I I, I definitely wasn't expecting it. And uh... So next time, is it Vancouver that you are? Uh, I, I hope. I hope. I hope one time I get, I get to fly on that thing. Then uh, no, I, but, I don't but, think but, we're. I don't think we're going to see it because there's not that many people who are willing to strap themselves into a rock at 50 kilometers offshore, <laughs> and then get on a yeah. boat. But it's an interesting <laughs> time. There's a lot of stuff yeah. changing, right? And this no, is, uh, you know, and, and there are these things about electrification which are super interesting, which are we're not getting into because of sort of energy density, but. You know the, the 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 altitude record for for horizontal flights is with an electric solar uh, unmanned mm-hmm. plane is sort of NASA Helio. So there's a lot of things that if you start going up and you can you know, you know reach higher speeds and you know you, you don't have because sort of um it's just because turboprops or or jet engines are limited by the, the access to oxygen, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so there's a lot of things happening there. But I will sort of what I, what I sort of want to discuss briefly as well as sort of just building an electric plane is that I aircraft are not just 
you know, they're at, they're sort of at the limit of our organizational abilities <laughs> as the, the primates that we are to, to, to manufacture, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or to take, you know, a project like, you know, like a rocket, which is, I think is really on the limits. You know, people used to, like I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a house with my, my dad had these books from the 1960s, the sort of 2001 Space Odyssey stuff. And, you know, you show about, you know, cities, uh, you know, in orbit and cities and other planets. And, you know, everybody was sure in the 1960s that we could do that, right? Mm-hmm. But it sort of ended up in, although the sort of technology, the, the pieces of the Lego puzzle are, are there when it comes to technology, the sort of organization that is required to build like a Death Star, oh, well, it's a bad example, but, 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 you know, it is like even aerospace is something that countries struggle, continents, you know, like, like it, it's companies struggle with this. And we've created an atmosphere where for the past 80 years or maybe maybe less, but you know, we had a generation like the, the Kelly Johnson generation, which sort of were, were in the, from the start and you know, we're, we're through the wars where they learn how to do stuff quick and dirty. And you, know, you have the space race and you have the Concorde and, and the SR-71 and all this stuff. And then we ended up in a place where it's more about, okay, we, we've settled on a concept, we've built the supply chain and we're ossifying that, <laughs> that structure a little bit. We're not really teaching people anymore how to be a chief engineer. Like if you were looking at a, at starting, um, say, okay, you know, we're gonna build uh, this next generation, whatever, it's a hydrogen plane or whatever, something that's gonna be, be revolutionary. You're gonna do it so it's ready in 2040, like some people are saying. Then it's like, where do you find the chief engineer for that? Mm-hmm. Where, where do you find a person, like you need to find somebody that's, my like if, if you want to have a technology that's ready in, in 2040 or 2050 you need to find a person that's sort of my age or in their in their mid to late 30s to see yep. one, one of those projects through are those people around are we are we educating those people are we are we you know learning how to build these organizations that are not just sort of incrementally improving every component but actually you know changing the overall thing so it's 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 like this massive organizational thing <laughs> Which is, is something that uh, shouldn't be underestimated. And I, and I try, one of the reasons that I want to speak about this so, as plainly as I can, is not because sort of aerospace, I mean, I think that sometimes I, I can come across as being like this clueless guy who talks about this, like it's very, very easy, <laughs> but it's not. Well, <laughs> it's let, very, let's just put hard. this in context. You've got yeah. three masters and a PhD in different overlapping fields you really are a rocket scientist and your uh, electric drivetrains are much easier, but you're still putting a pressurized aluminum tube with people yeah. inside it in the air and then landing it again. It's yeah. non-trivial. <laughs> it is so. non-trivial, but the thing that I spend the most time doing, and it's actually like I take a very engineering approach to it, is, is sort of how do we do... There's, there's, you know, the analysis chain of, of sort of taking something that's out there in the real world or, 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 you know, creating the sort of starting from the mathematics to building computer models to, you know, doing these finite element simulations or fluid dynamic simulations. You know, every, every part of that is an abstraction and where you're adding mm-hmm. sort of uncertainty and error into your assumptions, right? Because you're not going to be able to predict the world perfectly, right? And you're but the and well, I used to, uh, unless you're the digital twin guy with that works with NASA and you think you're going to actually model the down to the atomic oh god oh wow <laughs> is there such a guy 
Yeah, uh, he's he he's actually um works in he was a product lifecycle management guy in engineering. Michael Grieg or Grieve, Michael Grieve, 2003, he created the concept of the digital twin, yeah. which has been adopted by NASA and aerospace, where they try to actually model the entire scale of everything down to the smallest possible scale in a digital twin so they can get a high resolution simulation and also yeah. rotate it around, look at it, do all that stuff, do, you know, embed all those, get all those value propositions. But my God, trying to get from the macro to yeah. the micro in a single simulation. It's yeah, just... no, and this is actually exactly what I spent my PhD doing and trying to figure <laughs> out this. And, 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 you know, we were, was a department that talked a lot about digital twins and, and like one of the things, you know, and we're sort of starting to implement some of that now. I was sort of, I think that we've been in as an industry for a long time looking at digitalization, digitalization. We're and mm -hmm. actually, you know, actual reality is is actually even more immersive than virtual reality. It is. So, uh, so, so that's why I, I, I want to be at a place where you know build hardware in, in a sort of hangar and do that as much as we can. But but what I was sort of one thing that you learn, and you know, you have engineers and they do this, and you so so they discretize, you know, the the, the 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 uh, differential equations they, they they you know make all this stuff and they add some uncertainty and some error and they, you know mm -hmm. their models sometimes they use commercial software that have error inside of it and on the very last if you if you model this entire there's there's a paper by Oberkamp which I think is great on this but if you model the entire chain on this then at the very last thing is like how do you represent this and communicate this <laughs> to the people that are around you and you know the more I start looking into this in in uh, in aerospace and the, the companies that were, it's like this, you know, you have these small, small uncertainties for discretization and here and, you know, model error here. And then you have this massive void where people are paying no attention on how to communicate to their superiors, for instance, what, the, what it is that they've done and what it is that they're trying to show. And so it is sort of really about, uh, I don't know, it's, it's this, it's more about communication than it is about engineering to build an aircraft. And yeah. uh, I, I look at the Boeing 737 or the Boeing 737 Max. I, yeah. I think that's the one that, um, yeah, that's the one where they move the wings and they tried yeah. to compensate with electronics. And you could just tell they, they put it into production and they did the test. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many failing conditions because they, did a bunch of modeling where errors crept in and crept in and crept in. And then they ended up with a plane, which liked to dive into mountains. Yeah. And, and it, it is. So I know there's, there's so many good, like I was, there's the Feynman or uh, the book from, from the Challenger disaster, which was sort of similar thing. You know, it's uh, Edward Tufte's like, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a representation there's, yeah, exactly, of complex Tufti, data. Yeah. Exactly. He's one of my, my, uh, my heroes actually, I think I have his books here, like, and, and the cognitive style of PowerPoint where you have that one slide that they made to describe the, like, it's, it's so, so powerful stuff. Well, and, I'm uh, living in one, of the, one of the firms I'm engaged with, uh, we're, we're in the world of digital twins and we're looking at the abstractions that enable people to get past cognitive biases. We spend a lot of time dealing with Kahneman's cognitive biases and noise reduction and seeing how we can represent data so that it, helps people understand so they don't have the massive conceptual cognitive load of creating abstract of turning an yeah. abstraction into something three-dimensional but then not pretending that it's reality either yeah right so they understand they're looking at something artificial but gaining a context and an insight they wouldn't be able to gain otherwise but it's not reality 
yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it's one of those things, it's also that there's a, what I noticed a lot is that there's a focus on tools. Like there's a, <laughs> there's a big focus on, and, and you know, like buying an expensive guitar doesn't make you Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> like, like, like there's, there's no, like, when you have to spend time on your, yourself and you have to think about what you're, you know, pen and paper can be really, really good. And, you know, just thinking about <laughs> what, you know, what you're doing and, and not have, you know, there, there'll be the, you know, PLM software guys or the, or the, you know, the, and they will say, sell you very, very expensive software. You just closed a $35 million funding round <laughs> oh. series A. So I'm sure there's salespeople coming out of the woodwork trying to sell you stuff that you, they think yeah. you need. So yeah. let's, let's pivot a little bit. So your big milestone for your seed funding was the engine on amount five months possible to do because it was electric. You know, yeah. battery electric is really, really dirt simple compared to any other choice. Yeah. Hydrogen is massively more complex than battery electric. The question for you, the $35 million series A, that comes with a projected timetable. Yeah. And that projected timetable ends with ends in theory with certification in 2026. Two two things. What's the inter- what's the next big milestone? Where are you gonna have an airframe with engines mounted on it and starting yeah. in the certification test flights? And the second one is. $35 million is not going to get you to manufacturing airplanes. So, yeah. so how much more do you need? I mean, uh, Tesla so, took so, $10 billion, but it's a different market. Yeah. No, and I think that, you know, it's dependent. But what we think it's, it's on the order of depending on how much we take in-house. So this is mostly about, you know, trying to be the, the sort of system integrator of everything that's being, you know, you, you go to the same tier once as Airbus and all that. And, and there's a, actually a model... So we model this two ways. There's the Randafka model, which is sort of you, you actually sort of project based on an aircraft passenger capacity and 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 sort of cruise speed. Mm-hmm. You can you can sort of benchmark and see where you end up in cost. And we've also done the sort of bottoms up approach of seeing this is people we need to hire. This is the stuff we need to do, and you end up somewhere which is much less than people would think for mm-hmm. for a Part 23 aircraft. And it's it's in the order of half a half a billion dollars, right? Okay. And it might go up. <laughs> But it's not in the order of five billion dollars. Uh, uh, how many how many units of aircraft can you deliver for five hundred million though? Now you'll get to sort of early stage production, so you'll have your your, your jigs and your molds and all of that stuff. But, but then at that point but, you're uh, going to be selling on revenue, and you're going to be getting yeah, exactly. revenue from the units. Okay. Yeah, and, and as for sort of my de-risking perspective here, there's the there's the first part of it with this, you know, demonstrate the electric propulsion system. And I want to be clear, like we've demonstrated it. <laughs> so the, 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 the technology is there, the physics is there, but obviously there's a long route to making sure that that's certified and that you perform that in, in all corner cases. So that's something, you know, we have to, you know, go down to the, the, the supply chain, you know, all the, you know, design organization approvals, flight testing of these, et cetera, et cetera. And, it's, and that's it's not a cakewalk. Every country too, because they all have their yeah. FAA. You know, so you're going to have to yeah. do a TACO for, you know, the United States FAA, and you know, uh, every you're going to go through a lot of regulatory approvals for every new market you enter into. Yeah, so, and, that, and that's some some risk, but it's not necessarily technology risk. It's a known now, risk now this, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the sort of the se- the second thing is that I don't like we're we built we built a subscale model of our plane, which we'll be flying shortly, but it's more of the it's more of sort of an exercise to prove that we don't have to build a full scale version of it. So the one, one to five subscale. One to five. So it's, now is, is yeah, that, it's, it's is like that, a five um, meter wingspan uh, drone that we built out of carbon fiber composites. That is just 
it's something that we want to show. It, it, it's it's well, first of all, we're just excited to get something flying that's our aircraft. That, that's an interesting one because um, the, the scale of prototyping for you know ma- you know micro to mac to make uh, to micro to ma- macro is an interesting yeah. one. Um, my my observation from looking at um, you, you know Google Mechani, the airborne wind energy guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I spent a lot of time looking at their technology and airborne wind energy as a whole and rotorcraft as a whole, and. My observation was that McCanny had built this too small a prototype because their prototype was below the, you know, it's kind of roughly the rough rule of thumb is it's got to be a quarter scale before you're getting into the same physics range. And the quarter scale is not just in one dimension. It's the total three-dimensional volume. So So, so a quarter scale and volume wise. Yeah. So we're building one fifth scale length wise. So that's like 125 volume wise. Yeah, it's a reasonable step. Yeah, but the, but, the observation but it, I would make is it doesn't, it, from my perspective, it doesn't de-risk the airframe substantially. But you're de-risking no. the airframe by going with a very, very standard, above, you know, above, you know, top wing hanging nacelle. You're not doing any of the innovative stuff like yeah. uh, Lilium or the other exactly. ones. Exactly. So, so we're, we're not really trying to prove that this aircraft flies. I mean, this is something that we're spending, uh, the money that we spend on this subscale, and we're working together with, with some friends of ours that are, are really great at building these as well. Yep. And, you know, you, you end up de-risking some, some very stupid things, like how do you fold the nacelle when you have the flap, and how do you fold that? And, and God, how many times we've done that. And just, it's just such a trivial, like, you know, it's like three-dimensional thinking. It's like yeah. a folding of landing gear. It's just like... Some of these stuff, and then you get to fly something, and 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 it, it's gonna sort of, it's obviously gonna be also uh, something that is gonna be a tremendous sort of boost and showing showing people that you know this is flying, and it's gonna run the same same um, motor electronics uh, or, or yep. sort of inverters uh, software, but but ultimately it's 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 something that we we don't we don't really believe that we need to prove that a high wing aircraft that looks like a dash seven flies i, I think people no. people will believe us that but uh, it'll be a fun thing to take to air shows yeah <laughs> you know it, you'll, it is uh, yeah, you'll be able it, to actually take it to places you'll be able to set up booths you'll be able to take it to yeah. you'll have the you know one of the biggest radio controlled aircraft at a, any of the rc shows you go to <laughs> yeah now it, it is you know what the big problem with the subscale aircraft and deciding to build that as, a, as an aerospace company is is that everybody becomes like a kid <laughs> with a stupid RC plane. I would. Like, you know, we have people, and I love air RC aircraft, and you you know, you know, have uh, people, and we're trying to sort of, okay, let's eat our vegetables and go through the you know, DO-178, DO-254, and figure out how to write cert- certified software or something like that, and somebody brings... <laughs> brings the RC plane to the office and all of a sudden you know people are like oh yeah let's let's play with let's the RC plane we were like <laughs> we were like you know and I have to like try to like bite my lip and be like no shit I'm I we're, we have to do all this this grown-up stuff and um, and uh well, the mechanic guys had a different problem they were all kite surfers and they always put themselves <laughs> where kite surfing was good so oh, yeah. if the wind got up they just all went kite surfing yeah <laughs> Now, but, but, but what, what is, what's our big next step and what we're doing for the 35 million is that we're, the big de-risk here is to make, make sure that we reach that sort of 10 to the power of minus nine or these really, really high safety margins that are required 
to put people on a metal can and and you know get them uh, 300 uh, 3000 meters up in the air right yep so and and an aircraft you know is the propulsion system is the more, most complex part but this this interconnection of all these complex components you know from the environmental mm -hmm. control system to the avionics to de-icing systems which is you know oh my god uh, and, and then there's uh, you know uh, maybe I, did i say flight controls but but yep. you know everything else there uh, it's vastly showing... simpler than a fuel-based airplane, but... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you don't have any bleed air to melt off the ice of the wings, or yep. you, you can't feed that into... And, uh, you know, fortunately, there's been a large move towards more electric aircraft. You know, even the Boeing 787 or Airbus A350, you know, they have a lot of electric system where it used to be hydraulic or bleed air systems. Yep. So there's a lot of technology there. And, and you know, it's something not something that we necessarily take or we don't take in-house. We just send yeah. it out to send out the RFIs to, to the suppliers and we've been overwhelmed by, by you know, it's like Christmas Eve when you get an RFI response and it's like, oh, look at the cool things that, that, that people are working on. And, uh, but it, so we're building a sort of an iron bird or a, like an iron slash copper bird where mm -hmm. we're sort of building a mock-up of the airframe. We're putting the motors there, but you know, we have a dual winding motor so we can run them against themselves. We don't need to put the propeller there, but we can still run them at sort of full speed. Mm -hmm. uh, and brake with half the motor and essentially run that system uh, or, or, you know, or we put a load cell on and we actually run with the full battery pack, but build a plane on the ground, which is an iron bird slash copper bird, where we start testing, okay, is the flight control system working? Is the, and just sort of, you know, get all those sort of hardware loop tests. And it's something that, you know, a lot of aer aerospace projects do, you know, like the good ones build iron birds. The problem is that they have to put the propulsive systems in a different room or outside because they're polluting so much and they're making so much noise. Yep. Here you'll be like able to stand on looking at an airframe and it'll be running at 1.2 megawatts. Yep. And you'll be, you can walk right next to it. You can stand next to the, say the, the ailerons and somebody could be moving, uh, moving the, the side stick or, uh, and, and you, you can uh, test it and see, okay, nice. this all works. So then you can start, you know, planning everything and, and I think, you know, the value of, of putting that out there, sort of like I was described with the subscale of, of okay, how, what's the nacelle folding mechanism, right? And just testing that, uh, figuring out the stupid things like, oh, the wires shouldn't be this short. Or, you know, okay, here we have a wiring coming in here and it's going to hit our environmental control system here. Or, you know, this is going to be hard to, uh, to assemble or all of this stuff. It's sort of you're yep. forcing yourself into doing that. And that's going to be our big demonstrator. And we we we're actually gotten fairly far far in building this this skeleton and frame. And we're going to be putting, I think the first thing we're going to be putting is 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 the, is the blinky lights, which is going to, <laughs> like the, it's going to be the hell world for the for the for for, for the uh, the island bird is just to see that we 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 put all the lanterns and, and navigation lights on it, and then we're going to start in, in, installing avionics and and flight controls and. I think it's going to be a sort of massively cool demonstrator. And it's really exciting to be working what, on When it. do you expect to be, you know, done as a relative term when it comes to iron birds, yeah, copper yeah, birds? Yeah, but... no, I mean, my hope is to, sh to show it sometime next year, right? Oh, so, cool. uh, and, uh, and obviously it's going to be a, a mix of, of, you know, for instance, the, the lights, you know, we're going to use off the shelf lights because, yep. you know, there's some, some stuff of that that you can, optimize yeah. a little bit and it's going to be the same for a lot of other stuff but you want to be at a point where you say okay we're at preliminary design review this is the architecture of the plane uh we can send this to suppliers and they're not going to come back and surprise us 
or you know you're going to find that one one thing that you didn't thought you know the unknown unknown about your your architecture that you're going to be be uh, you know 90% of your time you're going to spend solving 10% of the problems or something yeah, like that. So. you're creating a, not a digital twin but a physical twin and exactly yeah so listen we're we're at the top of the time um what I'm, yeah. what I would like to do though is you've got an audience clean technique of 50% in the United States 50% around the rest of the world now this is kind of the open ended opportunity for you you're a, an entrepreneur in one of the key hard target decarbonization areas for a part of the economy of the future what would you like to share with this audience wow no what what i what I would say, and this is just sort of spontaneously coming to me, is that when, you know, sort of, you know, the, the sort of, to par- <laughs> I'm paraphrasing Steve Jobs here, but, you know, the world was built by people that are not much smarter than you. And you end up at a place where if you're like me, an engineer, and you, uh, you spend a lot of time on it, people tend to think, you know, we had the Fridays for Future movement because people felt powerless in terms of climate change. But at one point you have to look at yourself and realize that, hey, I actually have a skill set here. I have a toolkit here. I actually am one of the, these people in power. So uh, there's, a, there's almost like a responsibility to do something with that. Uh, and you know, I'm so very fortunate to be born in the part of the world that I am and having had the chance to get the free education having, uh, you know, getting the scholarships and also being in a place in my life where, where I, I could risk it all by starting a startup and, uh, you know, having a family that supports me and all that stuff. But it's never like somebody would anoint you and say that you're the chosen one. <laughs> you will feel like an intruder and people will tell you that you don't know what you're doing and they will uh, many times be right. <laughs> but, uh, but, but nevertheless, it takes, you know, so, so you're never going to feel like, oh, shit, this is, uh, I, I, you know, I'm the, the, the next, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to build the next new technology. You're, you're going to feel like, like, like an imposter. But you have to sort of recognize that, that you're actually one of those people that, that, that can do it. And you need to start doing it before you're at a position where you actually think that you're comfortable with doing it. Because it's a long marathon and you need to learn along the way. I don't know if that's that's what I want to want to communicate with them. If, that, if that's a good good parting thought. Absolutely, Anders. Thank you so much. You know, this has uh, been Clean Tech Talk. We've been talking with Anders Forslund, PhD and CEO of Heart Aerospace, and they just closed a thirty-five million dollar Series A funding round, and they've got pre-orders of two hundred airplanes for letters of intent for North American airlines, as well as more for other airlines. They are in a really interesting position and it's going to be very interesting to watch where they go over the next couple of years. Anders, thank you so much for your time. Uh, This has been a remarkable conversation and thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.